It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. All right. Well, you're here. You're back. That means presumably you've enjoyed so far my conversation with Kevin Kelly, the founder of Wired, about his book, The Inevitable. We got through all six of the points that I'd committed to my audience that we would go over. Sad not to cover points 7 through 12. There's only so much time in the world. But we did want to talk a little bit more about that and then go to the Q&A. Thanks a lot for joining us during this Rule Breaker Investing Podcast Extra. Take it away, producer Rick Engdahl. So, um, we're going to leave it right there for the book. Suffice it to say, anyone who's, let's say, a quarter as interested as I am, <laughs> if they haven't already read The Inevitable, um, is, is likely, I hope shortly, going to click over to Amazon or Audible and, and buy Kevin's book and enjoy your additional chapters on filtering, um, remixing, interacting, uh, and the three that follow those. And I do have to ask you quickly about number 10, tracking. Yes. Because it might be the most provocative chapter in the book. Whether or not we think about this already, almost everything we do is getting tracked in the form of bits. Uh, and what isn't yet, likely will. Yeah. So you point out the asymmetry of this power struggle. Um, can you explain a bit about that and then remind us that we are in a protopia, not a dystopia? Yeah. So l- l- let me. Um I'll explain protopia first. So, everybody has heard of utopia. Utopia is this sort of imaginary destination where everything is perfect or at least super good. And um, the problem with utopia is that it's actually, I think, a pretty boring place. Um, uh, Nothing would ever get better because it's already good enough. And so, um, besides the fact that it seems like a a fantasy, I do believe in progress, that progress is real. And, and, and I find, I find the, the kind of skepticism that the world is actually getting better to be really perplexing. Because if you actually look at the scientific data, there is no doubt that on average, um, almost everything that we care about as humans has gotten better every year. And, um, from safety, longevity, health, rights, you name it. It's on average getting better, but that betterment is actually very tiny. It's, it's only a few percent. And so it becomes invisible. And the news, whatever kind of news you're looking at, will mask that because the news is about things that are unusual. And progress is about things that didn't happen mostly. What didn't happen, like the fact that you were not robbed on your way here today, that did not happen. That would have been normal a couple hundred years ago. The fact that you didn't die or your friend didn't die yesterday, all the things that didn't happen are actually what progress is about, and that does not get reported. And so we don't see it except in retrospect. So I think the world's getting better, but not by very much. But 1% compounded annually is civilization, right? And so um, we only see these things in retrospect because I think we may, even if we can create 1% more than we destroy every year, if that's progress. So, it's, so half the world could be crap and harmful and terrible, but we don't see that 1% difference because it's almost invisible. But that's what protopia. Protopia says that 
There is a tiny bit of progress every year, and that compounded over time, that's what we get prosperity from. And so we have progress, that's protopia. So in that, even though I believe there is protopia, the world's getting better, that next year will be better than this year, and this year was better than last year, I also think that we're going to track, keep tracking ourselves more and more, and that we're headed into a world where almost everything will be tracked. And the question is, I th so I think tracking is inevitable. I think we have a choice about how that tracking is done. And one version of that tracking is a world that I don't want to live in. And that's the world where they are tracking me. And I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're tracking. I can't correct it. Um, and I get no benefit for it. There's another version, which is what I call covalence rather than surveillance. And covalence means that there's a symmetry. So it's a little bit more like the kind of tracking we had in our past history, evolutionary history, when we lived in tribes, when everybody knew everything about each other. There was basically no privacy. We evolved hundreds of thousands of years living where everybody knew everything about each other. And we were comfortable because it was symmetrical, because like in a small town, the neighbor across the street who watched you and knew everybody who came to visit you, um, but you watched them and you knew everything about them. And if they got something wrong or were saying something incorrect, you could correct it. And there was some benefit to it because when you were out of town, if someone who came to the house they didn't recognize, they would call the cops or they'd take your mail in. And so there was, there was mutual benefit. So what we're needing as we have this world of increased tracking is to restore or make sure that there's symmetrical knowledge. And so we know who's tracking us. We have access to that information. We can correct it if needed. And most importantly, that we get direct benefit to ourselves from that. And so we're, I think, at the beginning of demanding understanding that the internet is kind of based on the fact that we're being tracked, but we're often not demanding the benefits from it. We're not demanding any symmetry in it. We don't demand that we know what happens with the information. We don't have any control over it. So um, I think we're going to have more and more tracking. I think that's inevitable, but I think we can choose how we're, how we're doing it. And uh, now we do, we're running out of time very fast. We're going to extend it a little bit, though, because um, I would love it if anybody has a question for Kevin. And you might have already tap tapped it in our app. And sure enough, Chris, you've got some. Um, and I would love to share that out. So um, Chris, what, um, Kevin, here comes anything goes round. Kevin, what do you think college education should be for the future that you are describing in your book? Right. So I, I think there is primarily only one meta skill that will serve people, and that is the meta skill of learning how to learn. And what's really remarkable, I mean, and, and so let me put it this way, learning how to learn is um, the skill of learning how you learn. Okay, so we all learn differently. Um, some of us are more oral, some of us respond to the written words, some of us need to move with our hands and learn with our hands. And what's really interesting is that um, 
I don't know of any, I've only found one curriculum, which has just been offered this year at Stanford, that actually teaches people how to learn. And the golden key, what you want to graduate with, is knowing how you personally can optimize your own learning. I don't even know that. I don't know, like, what, you know, if I learn, read something and then I want to go to sleep for how long or do I want to rest? And, you know, this is something that requires a lot of work to understand. It requires teachers and constant testing and discipline and practice to actually optimize your ability to learn in many different arenas. And um, that is the skill that you want to have when you graduate because it doesn't matter what language you're taught, it doesn't matter what, what um, your degree is, you're going to have a huge job description that doesn't even exist today. So you have to learn how to learn. I've been to China twice in the past two years. No one is using cash. All transactions yeah, are done true. on a 10 cent app that people use on their phones. When will cash be dead in the United States? <laughs> it's absolutely true that nobody under the age of 30 carries any cash whatsoever, everything. In fact, I saw this guy, on the, a homeless guy begging, and he had his QR code. He only accepted <laughs> mobile payments. Because um, nobody had cash. So um, we're, we're hampered by the fact that we have a very robust credit card system that um, is, you know, is an incumbent. So um, I'm, I'm not sure when. I, you know, I, I thought 20 years ago that we were headed for cashless um, when PayPal came along. I thought, oh, well, we're going to get rid of, uh, of cash. But um, I, I, don't, I really don't know what it will take. But it's very clear that the rest of the world that, which doesn't have that credit card culture is going to eclipse the US um, in that. Along those lines, what are your thoughts on cryptocurrencies? So, this is a much more complicated thing. Um, okay, so um, there, there are kind of like three, three components. To, there's the branded cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin's the brand. Then there's the general thousands of cryptocurrencies of all different flavors. And then there's the underlying technology underneath them, which is the blockchain. So um, Bitcoin feels to me like gold. I mean, it's like it's, it's not really a currency. Nobody spends Bitcoin. It's, you don't spend gold either. It's sort of speculative. It's, it's a different kind of wealth storage. Um, so that's there. It's, it's not really a currency. There's all the cryptocurrencies, I, I think, are, are, are interesting um, for many reasons, and going back to the tracking thing, most cryptocurrencies have this you know, public ledger. It's, it's, it's a distributed trust. Um, it's actually a, an experiment in having all transactions public. I mean, even the ones that are anonymous are actually, they've been proven that you can actually track who's who. And so um, I imagine that there'll be some states like China that actually may have mandatory cryptocurrencies because they want to track all the transactions. So people think of it as kind of the dark web, but it's actually the opposite. It's actually because it is a public distributed trust. 
so cryptocurrencies are, are in so many different flavors, it's very difficult to say something general about them all because there are, there are so many. But the last thing about Bitcoin, that is, I think, a technology that has a lot of uses um, that, are un, that will be unexpected. But if we imagine, again, my vision of having a million people working on some project in real time, technologies like Bitcoin will allow those things to work. It's a way which you could track the effort that everybody of those million people did so they could distribute payment backwards to them. Blockchain technology is one of the ways that you could do that. So I, I think blockchain technology will continue to look for the job that it's best at. We don't know what it is. Cryptocurrencies will be around. I'm not sure they're going to be revolutionary, but maybe revolutionary in ways that people are not expecting. And Bitcoin is just, you know, it's 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 other thing. Uh, last question from the audience: Is there a new theme that you would now add that was not part of the original twelve inevitables? That's a great question. Um, there is something I've, I've been thinking about, and, and and it's coming from the amount of time I spent um, outside the U.S. traveling around, and that is um, there. There seems to me a great convergence happening. Uh, I could show you a picture of somebody, some people in the city, and you could not identify what city it was in if it took off their faces. You would just, it could be Berlin, it could be Shanghai, it could be Nairobi. It's, it's really, really hard to tell because there is a convergence. And you might be familiar with a, a hierarchy developed by the guy Maslow hierarchy, which says that um, everybody kind of has uh, the first work is to make sure that they have the physical, ph physiological needs met, water, food, shelter, and then as we fulfill those, we move up the, the ladder to more um, less tangible things, and at the peak is self-fulfillment, self-realization, and that what people want to do as they become Prosperous is, is that they move up that, that ladder and that and they spend more energy on deciding who they are. And I think what I'm seeing is that I think there is a convergence at the lower levels of the Maslow hierarchy where everybody in the world, particularly the young people, what they want is they want a square box that's airtight and air-conditioned with running water and Wi-Fi, okay? <laughs> If you ask them what their dream is, that's their dream. So there is, you know, they're wearing the same cotton clothing, they've got the same apps on the phone around the world, they're listening to the same music. They're actually studying the same things in school. Um, so there's a convergence in that sense at the lower levels of the Maslow hierarchy, a convergence on lifestyle, maybe we'll say. But there appears to be a divergence at the top end of what it means and what your purpose is. Once you have those things, your, you know, your airtight box with Wi-Fi, what it means to you and what your own meaning in the world is, there seems to be that there's a divergence there. And that's my hypothesis, but I don't know if it's actually true. But that's something that, that I think that technology is moving us to is a convergence on the basics, maybe allowing us to have a divergence about what it means.
Kevin Kelly, thank you so much for suffering fools gladly. All right. Well, his book is The Inevitable. As I mentioned in the interview, it was a 2016 book, so it's now a couple of years later. The world keeps speeding up, but I can assure you this book reads just as freshly here at the start of 2018 as it did in 2016. Obviously, I highly recommend this book, which I read in full before interviewing Mr. Kelly. It is a fascinating and deeply challenging and encouraging view for somebody who's been doing that all his life and pretty well. All right. Well, at that point, we had to give me and Kevin the hook so that Motley Fool One members could enjoy other interviews throughout that special day. My brother, Tom Gardner, interviewing the CEO of LinkedIn, Jeff Weiner, lots of Motley Fool analysts, some of which you, you would know, of course, through our podcasts, um, doing sharing some stock research, etc. It was a wonderful event in San Francisco. San Francisco, one of my favorite cities, maybe yours too. All right. Coming up next week, Again, we'll have Investment Lingo Volume 2, and we'll be reviewing five stocks the world needs right now. The operative question, how much has the world needed these stocks? We'll go over their performance and more coming next week. In the meantime, thanks for joining me this weekend. Fool on! As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rulebreaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.